Hi there, thanks for tuning in again. Episode 723, and a special thank you to all of you who voted in the Sports Podcast Awards. The Nick Luck Daily Podcast was voted the winner in the Sports Talk category, and everybody here is really thrilled. So thank you very much. Now here's your chance to win two places in the Premier Lounge at Sandown Park for the Bet365 Jump Finale on Saturday the 29th of April, as well as two annual memberships to Sandown Park for the remainder of the 2023 season. The Premier Lounge is one of Sandown's most exclusive spaces, offering views out across the course and making it a perfect location for taking in all the racing action. And you'll receive a delicious three-course meal, a private table that's yours for the whole day with unlimited uh, supplies of tea and coffee, race cards, parking passes and much more. Uh, All you have to do is log on to jockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Nick Luck and fill out the form to enter. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, April the 19th. It's an Aprily sort of day here in TW11. It's not that warm. It's not that sunny. Could go either way at this stage. Rather as we could on this podcast, we could stick to talking about jumping and the Grand National. And and indeed, I will be talking to Sandy Thompson, trainer of Hill 16, later in the show. I'll also be focusing on what he's got to look forward to this weekend because he's got two in the top five in the betting for the Scottish Grand National at air. But the flat season is now properly in gear. So we'll be turning our attentions there first off. In a moment, David Egan on Sakir, who galloped yesterday, and Barry Mann, Judmont's racing manager, on frankly a whole raft of horses. Winners yesterday, maybe winners today, and almost certainly winners at the weekend. Lydia Hislop is at Newmarket for the Craven meeting, doing racing TV duty and much more. Lydia, what can you tell me about yesterday? Was it a good, strong start to what I think we could sort of call the flat season proper? Oh, you know I love the Lincoln weekend. But anyway, uh, it was... <laughs> good. It, it good. Was... Netted big fish first off. Excellent. <laughs> well done. Well done. Good start. Um, I would say of the three days, it was the least strong. Um, I imagine in many ways that that is intentional compared to what we can look forward to today and tomorrow. It was a little bit muted. However, there was plenty of stories. I should first of all set the scene at the race course. We're back to Newmarket and therefore, obviously, it was quite wintry still and there was a strong wind. And most specifically, for people who are looking back on what happened yesterday, there was a very strong headwind. So front runners at Newmarket, Rowley Mile, are often favoured. They weren't yesterday. Charlie Appleby was uh, back in in fine fashion. He and William Buick uh, set off 2023 in Newmarket on the race course in the same way as they had dominated last year. They had a double, notably with Ottoman Fleet, who won the Earl of Sefton. That's the the four-year-old who got his Group 3 stripes yesterday. That was the target, apparently, and Charlie didn't really have a a thought beyond that for the next target for Ottoman Fleet. But they also had a three-year-old winner in the the new uh, conditions, seven-finals conditions race that has replaced the free handicap. This horse was Majestic Pride, a three-year-old son of Shamadal, and he is going to be heading towards the Heron, that listed event in May that was won by My Prospero uh, last year. And Charlie was talking about tiptoeing through the ranks with him. But more importantly, Charlie was also talking about his 2000 Guineas runners. So Noble Style has got that entry in the green. And he's a little bit worried about the ground at Newbury. And he's sensing that it's going to be wiser rather than risk deep ground to give him a race course gallop at HQ at Newmarket this week. 
Um, he's really regretful about that because he wanted to find out, this horse has never raced beyond six furlongs, he wanted to get more clues as, whether, as to whether the mile of the guineas is the right idea. And then he was also talking about Naval Power and Mysterious Night. They both run in the Craven on Thursday. And Silver Knot, however, uh, runner-up in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, he'll be heading straight to the Guineas. They're confident he handles the track because of the autumn stakes. Um, and he'll be having a gallop at Newmarket this week. Uh, Mysterious Night, by the way, he wanted, Charlie wanted to run him in, in the Craven because he's not completely certain that with a great big long stride that the track will suit. So he wants to find out more. Um, and he also mentioned Hurricane Lane. He was galloping in the morning. Uh, I didn't see that that gallop. They were thinking about running him at France last weekend, but they swerved that, and he pleased in the gallop, and so he heads to the John Porter. But there were, well, there I were watched it on the telly. He looked like he absolutely loved the cut in the ground. Yeah, it was. It's interesting that because the 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 cut in the ground diminished during the course of the day because that strong wind that I mentioned meant that conditions were very much drying out. I think there was also something of a bias towards the stand side rail, which came out in the mile handicap, um, and also in Frankie de Tory's winner. So Frankie de Tory uh, rode for the first time in 2023 in Britain at Newmarket yesterday. He had to wait to his third and final ride to get the win because Reach for the Moon, the King and the Queen Consort's horse was really disappointing running for the first time as a gelding and in first time blinkers. Uh, and Frankie Dettori didn't have anything positive to offer about that. But he did win on Covey, a three-year-old son of Frankel. Um, he brought him to the stands rail because the horse hangs left. The horse is clearly not straightforward. He hung fire at Sutherland debut and Frankie did refer to him not necessarily being the straightforward. But he was the only horse to race into the teeth of the wind and manage to win. So it's actually quite an impressive performance in the Alex Scott. We also had Blue Storm, who skipped the breeze up sails um, for James Tate to win the five furlong novice on debut. He's a little green in the paddock, but very professional in the race. Good head carriage and he heads to the national stakes and then on to Royal Ascot. He's a five, six furlong horse, James thinks. He also had news of his green entry, iconic moment. Again, he thinks the ground is going to scupper that bid and therefore it's likely to mean that the horse won't run in the 2000 guineas either. And then just some other news for people who like horses that are, are well-known handicappers. Amanda Perrett uh, said that Rebel Territory, who went over seven furlongs, will be heading to the Victoria Cup. And David O'Mara, who won the mile handicap with Pedro and monopolised most seven and eight furlong handicaps last season. He expects Ross Collin and Blue For You to be at the forefront of those projects this season. And there was also another gallop before racing, of which I, you've mentioned you have news, and that was Sakir, a 2000 Guineas entry. Okay, well, the man who put Sakir through that uh, piece of work yesterday at Newmarket on the Rolly Mile was his regular rider, David Egan. How did he feel, David? Felt great, Nick. Um, first morning, first day I sat on him this year, actually. Physically, he's done well. And, um, yeah, it was a pleasing workout. Nothing too um, gut-wrenching, but uh, had a nice day out. And, um, yeah, I'm sure he'll step up his work this week, leading into the, the big day in, in May. And, of course... You're training him for a guineas, but he's worked yesterday with a bang-up five-furlong, six-furlong horse, Mitt Bahi, who's very, very good as well. And uh, your horse does not look as though he lacks pace. No, a lot of natural speed. I know Mitt Bahi well, and, um, yeah, Jack led a, a nice gallop, but um, Sakir is a horse with a lot of natural talent, a lot of natural speed, and if we can harness all that energy to... And he stays a mile. He'll, um, yeah, he'll take every take every chance in the guineas for sure. But um, stamina is the big question mark. But that all will be answered very shortly. 
What chance does he give himself of staying the trip? Um, his regular rider, as I said, it was my first day riding him this year, Ben Morris, who does a very good job at switching him off and teaching him to go a stride slower than he would probably do naturally. So, um, yeah, he's done all the hard work to um, sort of caress him and nurture him and keep him in that relaxed frame of mind to give himself every chance to, to stay the mile. What's his temperament like? Is he quite high high metalled or is he a relaxed horse? Definitely matured from two to three. Obviously a, a breeze up horse who did, was very exuberant in his work and would always work very well. Um, wouldn't say hard on himself, but would always show a lot at home. But at the races, he was always very switched off. He hasn't been keen. He's done everything the right way around. So, um, does everything right that if you can take that next step, which look, all horses, when they're going to a guineas, have to do, but if he takes it in a stride as he's progressed with, with every step so far, he'll um, he'll take every chance. There's another guineas horse in the KHK ownership for whom you ride, but this one trained by Simon and Ed Christopher called Knight, who didn't make the engagement in the Craven. We're not quite sure whether he's going to take the engagement up in the greener, but he was very impressive last back end at Newbury when you when you rode him. Do you see him as more of a kind of traditional classic horse? Horse who definitely appreciates a bit of ease in the ground. Obviously, when he won at Newbury, it was quite testing conditions and he cruised into the race with, with ease and put the race to bed very quickly. Um, he'll... Um, yeah, probably Sakir would probably show a lot and more natural speed and obviously with him only running over six furlongs and, and Knight have sort of stretched that a bit further. But um, yeah, a, a classy horse who I'm not sure where his next target will be, whether it's in a trial or even what country guineas he will take part in. But he's a, he's a nice individual who's um, progressed well. David, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Nick. Well, Frankie Dottori's comeback winner in the UK yesterday was in the Judmont Pink and Green Silks, and the horse was called Kobe and did it pretty impressively in the Alex Scott Maiden as well. Judmont's Barry Marne is with me now, looking forward to all sorts, including Chaldean in the Greenham Stakes on Saturday. But, Barry, that must have been a, a nice way to kick things off with Kobe. How good do you think that horse is? Yeah, he, he's a very smart horse. He always was, Nick. He'd have been highly rated this year, and then in fairness, John and Tady liked him last year, but he just continuously coughed all year and was very prone to respiratory allergies. So we actually never really got to do a lot with him last year. Um, I, I'd say it's, it's immaturity related, but he's learning pretty quick now. I think his first run was was a, a night catcher to run a 93 rated horse so close on debut and sure he couldn't have won any easier yesterday. I'd say I'd say he's a very progressive cold, um and I could see him ste- stepping up into his stakes company. Uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, most definitely now. I think he's won his he's won his novice well and and uh, I think he'll progress hopefully into into a list of racing his next start. and then possibly uh, Royal Ascot for his big step up? Yeah, you know John mentioned after the race yesterday the jersey could be a race for him. Um, so I think that's something we'll train towards that and, and uh, see how we go. This afternoon you run a filly called Coppice in the Nell Gwynn. She's very well bred. She's very well fancied. Is she good enough to justify all of that? 
Actually, she's a lovely filly, Nick, and she couldn't have won on debut any easier. It was an all-weather maiden at the back end of her career. So, uh, you know, it's a big step up today, going on grass for the first time in a Guineas trial. But she's a filly full of promise, and I think today will will tell us what level we're at with her. I think at home her work is good, and, and John and Hady have been very happy with her. So uh, we'll have to see today, can she make that jump into the into the bigger grade? And later in the afternoon, you've got another Kingman. Another Kingman filly, Ludmilla, uh, over over a mile. Now, now she was third to one of the one of the Nelguin entries, Car Savina, on on her debut. How she moved forward in the in in the close season? Yeah, she's she's quite well. She's not a very big filly. Um, I think she ran a great race in debut after missing the break to just narrowly miss out. I think Ryan Ryan Moore rode her that day, and he felt that you know another ten yards, and he was there. Um, nice filly. Um, as I say, lacks a little bit of size and hopefully she can perform well today and if she doesn't break her maiden today, it'll be in the coming weeks. Now, I can I can put the pronunciation of Chaldean to bed now because I, I was busy trying to get everyone to call it Chaldean or Chaldean, as in the people of Chaldea, but you say we're too far down the track now. Everyone started calling him Chaldean, so there we are. He's Chaldean now after the, I don't know, some fictional home counties village somewhere. Look, I think as long as as long as he keeps winning the pronunciation, you know, we can handle that. As long as he keeps winning, it's it's the old Cato Corto Cato star thing all over again. Um, right, Chaldean then in the Greenham. He's six to four on at the moment. The ground might be quite soft. Is that going to be a problem? No, he's won on soft ground. I don't think soft ground is going to be a problem. Look, it's it's two weeks before Guinea, so if it gets any any worse than soft. We will relook at the situation, um, but definitely we wouldn't be concerned with soft ground. Um, it'll be good to get him out. I think Andrew's been very happy with him and get the cobwebs blown off, and hopefully it'll set him up nicely for the guineas. And when you look at him and you saw what he did last year, his last four triumphs were over over seven furlongs. There doesn't seem to be any doubt, given that he's by Frankel, that he'll he'll get a mile. But he's out of a a, a fast mare from a from quite a fast family. Do do you think anything beyond a mile is is within his compass or not? It's probably unlikely. Um, looking at his pedigree, as you said, there's a lot of speed on the dam side. Uh, his run style, you know, he's a very laid back type of horse always only does enough so you know you would you would question whether he he would get 10 in time but look as for the minutes I'd say a mile looks looks like it's ideal for him and uh, as the season progresses then he'll tell us if he wants to step up to 10. And obviously you broke the news earlier this week that Nostrum was out of the the guineas uh, when might we see him do you think? Uh, it, it's going to be somewhere onwards look we'll we'll try We'll, you know, a, a loose plan to try and aim towards Ascos, and if if that's coming too too soon, then we'll we'll be uh, we'll wait a little bit longer. But he's a very nice colt with a lot of promise. He's been working very well in the spring, and this is a it's only a minor setback. It's a frustrating one this time of year with the classic around the corner. But look, the horses, the horses, uh, long term, the horse will be fine, and that's the main thing. So I think we'll we'll see. Um, We'll see him later in the season, and I know he's very much a horse to look forward. That was Barry Mann from Judmont, and before him, David Egan. Lydia's back with me. Just a, a quick reflection on those, Lydia. David Egan, he was very realistic, hopeful, but not certain that um, Sakia would be a, a miler this season. 
Yes, it was very interesting that he raced against Bahi. I mean, that is a very talented lead horse to breeze past. So he he was impressive. The question mark I did have immediately after that is, you know, are you a very speedy sprinter or are you a very, very good horse? Uh, certainly you wouldn't be discouraged by what um, David had to say. And Frank and Tori, you mentioned uh, Barry Marn and, and Chaldean heading towards the, the green. I, I did ask Frank and Tori about, you know, where, whether he'd be in Britain for the Guinness weekend or whether he'd be, for the, over in America for the Kentucky Derby and he said that had he managed to come across what he believed to be a realistic chance in the Kentucky Derby he might well have been tempted to be over there but in the absence of that he's very keen on Chaldean he's looking forward to riding him in the green and, and obviously he's got Coppice today in the Nell Gwyn and also Soul Sister in the Fred Darling at Newbury Well big week for trainer Eve Johnson Horton classic trial entry on Saturday uh, with the unbeaten two-year-old Streets of Gold who goes in the Watership Down stud two darn hot Greenham Stakes at Newbury. And lots of entries this week, including our old favourite Jumby in the Abernant tomorrow. But we've got to start, I think, Eve with Streets of Gold, who was a, a massive overachiever as a, as a two-year-old. And I know you've been dreaming about him going even, even higher at three. How's he done over the winter? Um, he's done fantastically well. Um, he's not a big horse. He hasn't grown into a big horse suddenly, but he has really filled out and strengthened up. Um, so, yeah, very happy with him. Um, there is a bit of rain around at the weekend. The ground at Newbury at the moment is on the easy side. He won on soft ground toward the back of uh, of last year. Do you think it's important to him relative to his chance against the others? He's probably a top-of-the-ground horse, but I think it might inconvenience him less than others, maybe. Um, he's never worked flashily. He just works nicely. Um, he goes well. He does everything with a smile on his face and he enjoys life. But he's ne- never going to go 10 lengths clear of something and you're going to go, wow, that was impressive. Because he's never done that. But he's never done that in a race either. So he's the sort of horse that you don't know how good he is until he isn't. He is bred, um, bred to stay. He's out of a half sister to the, um, to the Irish Derby winner, uh, Treasure Beach. Um, you know, who's by Frankel. So there is definitely staying in there. No, he's a really well-bred horse. I mean, he just wasn't a very big yearling. He's not a very big three-year-old. He's just not very big. Um, and I think Havana Gold might, you know, not everyone had cottoned on to him. And now they have cottoned on to him. And unfortunately, he's died. So that's no good to the man and beast, which is very, really annoying. Um, but, um, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a lovely little pedigree. There's no reason why he can't be a really good horse. But, you know, he doesn't give us... He's not someone that is flashy. So it's oh, so hard to know. Um, I don't know whether Jumby's ever been flashy or not, but he's certainly got a lot of personality and he's out again in the Abernant Stakes tomorrow. What sort of nick's he in? He's in great nick. All my horses are needing the run. Um, you can see that on the race course. Everything is blowing up. I don't know. It's because we live on top of a hill and we've been very cold here and wet. And I've all, I have been saying for a long time we're two to three weeks behind and it's definitely showing on the race course. So, I mean, probably the same applies to Streets of Gold. They're going to come on in leaps and bounds for their first run. There's no doubt about it. Um, there's always been the debate as to whether he's a six or seven furlong horse. I, I, I see, however, that you've managed to get a Sheen Murphy who's one from one over six furlongs on Jumbie. Yeah. Um, it, I don't think the trip necessarily bothers him. I think it's just the way the race is run and whether he's he's happy. And hopefully a Sheen can do the magic again. I've actually put him in the lock-ins because he loves Newbury. And I think if he settles, he might get the mile. You've invariably unleashed a 
quite a quick two-year-old around about now. Is there is there a couple of, uh, that fit that bill? Well, the two that are, are, are penciled in to run um, are both nice horses that have, have worked well. Um, and we'll just see where we are with our two-year-old pack now. So you've got Juniper Berries, the expert eye filly. And she's... She's, yeah, she's at Bath. I think she will run at Bath, yeah. Okay, and which is the other one that's due to run? Uh, Revenue. He's in at Newbury and Brighton. I think we'll probably end up going to Brighton, I think. Yes, they're both quite forward and they're both going quite well. Uh, Eve Johnson-Horton. And as night follows day, if she's got two-year-olds out early enough, they're normally half decent. So do keep an eye on those two. Yesterday, we led the programme with news of Robin Brisland's £8,000 fine. Uh, you'll be now familiar with details of this case where Brisland and uh, an employee, uh, William Degnan, um, made life incredibly uncomfortable, difficult for staff who had registered their complaints to the BHA. And they were charged under some quite serious rule breaches, which they accepted quite late in the day. Then there was a, a plea acceptance and uh, Brisbane was fined 8000 and Degnan was fined £3,000. We discussed with Peter Scargill, the Racing Post reporter, and Lee Moss said yesterday the appropriateness of that penalty. Um, Lydia, I'm sure you've had time to, to reflect on this and, and really from you, from a, a a safeguarding point of view, really, and a, a retention and recruitment of staff point of view, um, areas I know that you're you're heavily interested in and heavily invested in, what you feel this um, process and this fine um, tells us and what sort of message it sends? I think it sends a, a terrible message and I share Peter Scargill's view. Again, I'm, you know, I'm no wallflower, but I found that the details of this case genuinely shocking, as he said. And I'd concur with him when he said it, it felt incomplete in terms of what we understood, in terms of the public interest and being reassured uh, that, the, um, that the punishment fits the crime. Um, and he felt there was a... Um, a disconnect between the charges and the accepted findings and that the punishment didn't fit the crime. And I, I, I tend to agree with him. Now, that obviously, there are some reasons, and you and Lee explored them yesterday. I mean, necessarily, once you have a, a, a guilty plea and a plea bargain, in it is a normal facet of justice that you end up with a reduced penalty than you might have had had you uh, wanted to go through the entire process. So I understand that. And also, we're talking about a case where we haven't had the reasons fully outlined. There will be more to Come. Interestingly, it was the first case that the new chair of the judicial panel, Sarah Crowther KC, chaired. I think I'm right in saying that that's the first case that she has chaired. And I should point out, if I think back to um, the disciplinary panel, um, hearing of the uh, Robbie Dunn case, uh, I thought when um, her predecessor, uh, Brian Barker, chaired that, that it was exemplary and it was very well looked after obviously the appeals board very different afterwards not you know nothing nothing uh, no, incomparable in terms of the level of unprofessionalism there as compared to the professionalism of the disciplinary panel so the point the reason i raise this nick is because we're from the outside without the reasons yet have a sense of disconnect and that the punishment doesn't fit the crime and i'm just saying that these are very um uh, capable people who are used to weighing this kind of evidence and so uh, I'm not going to assume um, that this is that the punishment doesn't fit the crime I'm interested in the reasons however it is impossible to say that uh, that the the that uh, that a sanction has been put in place that would be a deterrent to this kind of behavior and it's not reassuring to the industry to people who work in the industry, to the parents of young people who might be thinking of working in the industry, um, 
that that this that such a what appears to be compared to the gravity of what has gone on quite a lenient treatment i i just said that i think it sends out an awful message and that the industry worries about uh that its lack of ability to recruit staff and its lack of ability to retain staff and this and actions like this are only going to make that a million times worse um i get it that I, I, I mean, I'd be interested to hear from the BHA. I think the mm. BHA has to step in here, don't you? I do. I do totally. And, I, and I, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And we don't know the the, the specific details of the case line by line. And as, as Pete said yesterday, actually, that, that would have helped us quite a lot. But I accept reasons why we don't have that. But I do think the industry needs reassurance. I think young people who want to work in racing need, need reassurance that this is a yard that is a a safe and welcoming place in which to work, which it self-evidently hasn't been. Now, Robin Brislin's held up his hands and said there were mistakes made. He cited pressures of COVID and so forth. Now, you have to, to take that at face value, but if you're going to do that, then you need to know that the systems that were going wrong at the time when these young, vulnerable teenage girls were being treated poorly at work you need to know those systems have been put right. And you need to know that the authority has a mechanism in place which can ensure those systems are being put right and is examining those on a routine and regular basis. I've no yeah. doubt there must be something in place of that nature. But we we need to know if that if that is if that is the form. That's the point. I, I think we need to understand what the BHA would typically do in a scenario like this what conditions of license might have been placed onto Robin Brisson's training license. And we don't need to know the specifics of this case, but we need to know typically and be reassured that this is what's happened. We were discussing it, you and I, earlier, and you know, he, he said that the reasons for his behaviour, that he was just under a, a lot of pressure, and essentially he you know, lost the plot, wasn't behaving like himself. Well, fine, but what caused that to happen? And have those um, causes been addressed? You know, is it working hours? Is it management structure? Do, does does some training need to be brought in? Is there some extra support that is required? But because the people um, who work for him and the people who might in the future wish to work for him would need to be confident that this is a, a happy a uh, good place to work and, and more widely the industry needs to be confident that the standards of care and behavior across the piece are much higher much much higher than perhaps has been tolerated in the past i i, I don't believe that this is a you know um, you know that you need to the one of the problems with the industry is what is often says is that you need to toughen up and you know there's there's the good old days but this well this kind of behavior would have crossed the line no matter what exactly, area you're talking exactly about. i I'd, I'd sort of like to explode this myth i think this old school new school argument is just obscuring what's at what's at the root of this because you could have been made to work much harder 30 40 50 years ago in a different era you know, you, you might have been riding without a helmet. You might have been carrying wet muck sacks all the time. You might have been working 14 hours a day. Um, you, your living conditions may not have been as good. But e even then, even because that was the norm then, it, it, it's not to say that the norm then was that you could treat your staff badly or you could speak badly to them or treat them with disrespect. You know, I, I, I would say there are probably many old school taskmasters if you want to use that word 
who nonetheless knew where the line was between being decent to your staff and not being decent to your staff. You know, we've evolved in terms of you know the the, the working conditions that you have, but but basic humanity, dignity, and good manners they 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 haven't changed. Absolutely, I th- I'm glad you used the word humanity because there's some of the details of this case being forced to ride through injury. Uh, just crosses the line into being inhumane and it, it lots of it comes across as just plain bullying and that would have been the case now as it would have been in the 1950s in my view um so i i think in 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 the interest of the public in the interest of the sport in the interest of the industry um when the reasons have been published the british horse racing authority particularly the the safeguarding team need to come forward and uh, make a statement to reassure us all that when an incident like this happens, and we hope that they are that they disappear to being zero, but you know we have to accept that humans are what they are. Um, when when something like this happens, that they have measures in place, that they that there are you know regular inspections, that support is provided, that training is provided, and that there is a structure that we can rely on to be confident that uh, those. Uh, organizations those yards wherever it is in the sport um that aren't up to the standard that we would all humans would expect from their place of work that they are given given help and incentive to ensure they're better i mean it's going to have it could have having this level of um behavior could have all sorts of implications i mean even in terms of insurance you know there are there are actually things that would be to the detriment of the people involved you know it, it's it's got to be better well, there's been no trainer, it seems, more more in the news in the last few days since the Grand National than Sandy Thompson, who very sadly lost his horse Hill 16 in the in the Grand National, which you will well, well know by now. And uh, Sandy has been out on a, a number of, of media outlets really um, robustly defending the sport um, and, and with some trenchant words for for the protesters as well. And and Sandy is, is a busy man at the moment because he's got runners this weekend at Ayr, whose big day it is. It's the Scottish Grand National, and he's got two in the top five in the in the betting for that race as well. Uh, and Sandy, I guess I'm I'm interested to know really how, how the experience of the of the last few days, a tumultuous experience, has has been for you, not only the, the loss of a horse, but but an extraordinary amount of of media attention and then having to prepare a big team for a for a big race weekend coming up. Yeah, it was it was a huge relief actually yesterday morning to you know get back on the gallops and and and, and get the horses working and and you know that was that was sort of you know where where everything changed and we had to move on from Monday's media media circuses as some might call it. Um, but I think it was Monday. Monday was, was was very revealing, and we actually found exactly what Animal Rising are all about. And uh, you know, it's 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 pretty scary stuff when they're they're wanting plant based diets and basically the whole countryside to be rewilded, and not to be any animals apart from fluffy, fluffy animals for people to look after. And you know, they've they've picked the Grand National as a very soft target to get to get a lot of exposure to try and you know force their views on on people. Um, but fortunately, you know, we live in a society where you know hopefully we can make sure that that we get the message out there and we are supported by you know and continue to be supported by a huge number of people you know look at all the people that bet on them grand national have a sweepstake on it and and and, and watch it and and as long as those numbers you know continue that it will show that that we are 
the, the public want the race and obviously that doesn't mean we will, we will continue and the BHA will continue to do everything in its power to make it as safe as possible but we know that in all racing that, that there's unfortunately going to be fatalities. Obviously, you'll have had a lot of support from the racing community and, and people who love the Grand National. What about the reaction from, from your local community, for example, people who you, you might bump into in the, in the shops of a daily basis who know what you do? What, what sort of reaction have you had from them? Yeah, listen, I have, a, I have a huge positive reaction. And, you know, I, I don't know how many emails I've had. Um, you know, I have, you know, hundreds of emails and, and, and text messages from giving giving people support, and, and you know, from as far afield as New Zealand and Germany, and you know, not not just this country, and you know, of, of course, the, the world we live in, there's, the, there's always the, the negative ones as well now, and and you know, some of them which are, you know, just plain bloody crude and and, and, and offensive, but uh, that that that's the, the world we live in now. And you are, as I say, have to sort of gather yourself and and push on to to this weekend. Um, your your staff have lost one of their their fantastic horses in in Hill Sixteen. What's the sort of mood in the yard like? Yeah, it, it was the same. Very somber, and, and and you know Monday was a were a very difficult day. That was the first time that they were all together, and uh, you know we had a, we had a chat in the morning about it, and uh, quickly. Uh, just just had to had had to move on i mean listen he'll never be forgotten time will time will time will heal but uh you know he, he'll never be forgotten because he was you know he, he he was such a star he unfortunately never won for us but he ran some great races and you know the fact that he was running in the grand national um you know it just gave him gave everybody that that bit more um, knowledge about him in the yard, and and, and they love dealing with him because he was, you know, he, he was just a big gentleman of ours. Sandy, this weekend could be a, a very big one for you. Tell me about the two runners in the Scottish National and how hopeful you are of of winning that. The, the, these big handicaps, uh, you know, are, are not easy to win. But obviously, we're going with two horses that uh, have, have have the form in the book. Um, Empire Steel at Kelso was was obviously very good, and uh, obviously he's gone up a few pounds. But if, if, if Dusart stays in, he'll have a nice weight, and uh, yeah, I think I think I think he'll run a run a big race. Um, Flora Scotland, obviously she's she's very small, and, and we probably want it softer. It, 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 you know, maybe good to softer is a little rain forecast for Saturday. But she ran a cracking race. Obviously, when she won the Borders National, she ran really well around Musselburgh because that you know just wouldn't be her track, um, and was staying on to be third. So yeah, you know, given given a bit of luck, it, it it tends to be, you know, a lot of horses and, and there's not a lot of room at times. So due to her size, um, you know, she'll she'll just need a bit of luck in running. But but I think they could both run you know big races. And you, you've got a horse called Bass Rock engaged in the future champions. You spoke very warmly about him on this podcast earlier in the season, and then it didn't quite go right at air the last time we saw him. Do you still have faith that he's a he's a real one? He definitely is. He he, he has a few issues, um, and and this season sort of yes, it 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 went it went all wrong. Um, basically, you know, just was a. But a bit unfortunate the way the race worked out at Weatherby. And then, yeah, at Ayr, you know, obviously we were going to go down and take on John Bonn at Warwick and we just felt he wasn't quite right. 
Um, but in actual fact, what, what we probably learned today is that he's probably not a two-mile horse. So, yeah, two and a half miles on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward to, to taking him. And, and, you know, it looks like an ideal race for him. Um, you know, nice ground over two and a half miles, although it, it's obviously very competitive. Sandy Thompson, who's endured a tumultuous week, he could yet have the winner of the Scottish Grand National, which would be which would be quite something in, in so many respects, Lydia. It, it it really would be. Um, Emperor of Steel was very good in beating Lemilos at Kelso last time he ran. Uh, he won that through stamina, reeling in Lemilos when that horse went on quite a long way out. Um, so, yeah, I can see him as being a, a likely type for the race. Obviously, we've got the seven-year-old Kitty's Light, who was a, a fantastic winner of the Ida Chase last time um, and was second to his stable companion, Win My Wings, in the, ra- in the race last year. So it's going to be good to see him Ran for Christian Williams, a horse that ran really well, went third in the Bet365 Gold Cup as well last season. So used to this kind of contest. All right, Lydia will be back shortly, but first of all to Hong Kong and to J.A. McGrath. Nick, Hong Kong is gearing up for its second biggest international day of the season. That's FWD Champions Day, a week on Sunday, the 30th of April. As is usual practice, the great champion Golden 60 limbered up for the big race with a barrier trial on dirt at Shatin yesterday. And as per usual, he cruised around at the back of the field while the derby winner, Voyage Bubble, was on, on the mark. He won the trial. Nothing should be read into that other than that the champ is fit and well. Regular jockey Vincent Ho was delighted. So was trainer Francis Loy. Don't forget, it's not a race or a test. The barrier trial is merely an exercise in bringing the horse to his peak for the target race, in this case, the Champions Mile. Interesting that he will come up against my Oberon, an ex-William Haggis horse, now with Annabelle Neesham, and a horse who ran a cracker, very nearly landing the prestigious Doncaster Mile at Randwick, Australia's top mile race. He was second to Mr Brightside. Another opponent for Golden 60 in the mile is Waikuku, a multiple Group 1 winner for John Size, who will have the services of Tom Marquand, who is there principally to ride Dubai Honour in the Queen Elizabeth II Cup. But also worth noting that Tom will have a full book of 10 rides on Champions Day at Sha Tin. A very busy man on that day and also before as well. He's at Newmarket, of course, this week. Plenty to look forward to uh, in 10 or 11 days' time and also plenty to look forward to at Happy Valley today where there are nine races on the card and uh, as usual, uh, Zach Purton is very much the man to follow. I think his best is in race nine, number seven, all Greek to me, trained by David Hayes. This horse won particularly well there uh, a couple of starts ago. He's in terrific form and uh, up in class three now, I think drawn barrier one, he's going to take all the beating. In fact, I expect him to lead all the way. He comes up against number six, Brave Star, trained by Francis Louis and ridden by Vincent Ho, the Golden 60 combination. And Brave Star can run a big race, but I do think that number seven, all Greek to me, can win. So seven, all Greek to me, to beat number six, Brave Star, take them in a tote swinger on race number nine. Earlier on the card, race six, the Hong Kong Rugby Union Cup, a handicap over the extended mile, 1650 metres. Casper Founds has got an interesting runner here in June Planet, uh, ridden by Hugh Bowman. 
This will start favourite, uh, has yet to win in Hong Kong, but uh, a horse is showing a great deal of promise, and I think we can go very, very close indeed. So race six, number four, June Planet, and the danger is probably number five, Happy Angel, with number three, Writer's Rain, uh, as your next best. So put those in multiples. So that's uh, Hong Kong today. All of, That's all on the Hong Kong beat for this week. I'll have more for you next week. All right, thanks to Jim. That's it for today. Thanks to all my guests. Thank you for listening again. Lydia is back with a tip for today. You are back at Newmarket. Mm. A couple of horses that I was really interested in running today. I was slightly um, worried about the description of Ludmilla earlier from, from Barry, and that's rather that's slightly off-putting, but I thought, thought she shaped really well on her debut when third. But the, the tip I'm going to go with is a horse that's got experience, winning in spirits, in fact, of, of the Roly Mile, and that is Shabazz for Charlie Fellows in the 520, that 10 furlong three-year-old handicap. I'm sure it's fiercely competitive. There might be a really good horse in there. There probably is. But I like Shabazz's appearance, uh, experience, rather, of the track. Um, and if there's still a headwind, if, then his run style will be helpful as well. Is that Charlie Fellows, you said? It is. Charlie, is that, is that the same Charlie Fellows that tweeted yesterday, there aren't many people that speak as intelligently and articulately about horse racing as at Lydia Hislop, a balanced you, defense of our sport? Are you suggesting I can be bored? I'm just saying it's good, it's good to see you tipping a horse trained by the excellent Charlie Fellows. Well, it's, it's good to clarify this because obviously this is this is this is in the is in the public space. I swear, Your Honour, that this horse has always been on my tracker. <laughs> you know, you know why, don't you? Why? You know why it's on my tracker? <laughs> Tell me. Well, it could win the Melrose. Ah, yes. Well, okay. In case you didn't know, Melrose has run over fourteen furlongs for three-year-olds at York at the Ebor Festival. That seems a long way off. It's probably not in reality, but we'll be back in less than 24 hours. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.